Well, if you have a Bible this evening, please turn with me for our gospel sermon tonight, back to Jeremiah and chapter 17. And I want to draw your attention to verse 9 in the passage. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, where the prophet writes these very solemn words. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And our subject tonight is a true portrait of man. A true portrait of man. I often wonder what Oliver Cromwell would make of social media. It's a slightly unusual thought process perhaps, but you know it's reported, don't you, that when Oliver Cromwell was having his portrait painted, he said to the artist who was painting him, supposedly anyway, he said, paint me warts and all. I'm sure you've heard that expression. I don't know how much truth there is in that particular story, although his most famous painting does have him with a great big wart on his face. But what Cromwell was saying to the painter was, paint me exactly as you see me. Don't cover me up. Don't make me look more attractive. Don't gloss over my defects and my scars. But he wanted him to paint a true portrait of himself. Now, of course, this is the very opposite, isn't it, of social media today. People talk about something being Instagrammable. Perhaps you've heard that word. It's something that's so good, it's so attractive, so perhaps flawless. It's worth being posted on social media. Every photo today, which you see on the internet, seems to be so perfect, doesn't it? It never seems to be a flaw in it. No defects. And of course, it's partly due to the fact that with our phones today, you can take a picture with a filter on, and then you can edit that picture and you can take out the defects and the flaws. And uh, in actual fact, when you look at the picture afterward, it very often bears no resemblance to, the, to what you started with. Now, in the verse that we just read in Jeremiah chapter 17, the prophet acts a bit like a painter or a photographer here who's taking a picture. And it's a picture not of one particular person or of just of the nation of Judah here, but he's a painting a picture of all mankind He's saying, this is what all mankind, everybody in the world is like. And it's a picture you see of you and me tonight. Even though it was written and penned thousands of years ago, it's a portrait of us. It shows us, doesn't it, what we're really like. Jeremiah here, you see, he doesn't put on a filter as he takes this picture. He doesn't get out his editing tools and start taking away the defects and trying to hide up the things that we don't want to see. But he gives a very unflattering view of what each one of us are like tonight. Just look at the verse again. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah paints this true picture and he shows us exactly what we are really like. And this evening I want us to look at this portrait with you. Because it shows to us, it's like a mirror in front of us showing us what we are truly like in our hearts. But before we look at this verse, before we look at the things that Jeremiah mentions here, it's worth just saying and reiterating something that I've said before, that 
When we find this word heart in scripture, it's not speaking about that physical organ that pumps blood around our bodies. And it's not talking about our passions either and our emotions. But we're speaking about that spiritual part of us. We're speaking about our souls, about the the inner man, the inner person. As we've mentioned before, the heart or the soul has different properties, doesn't it? We have a conscience. We have a will. We have the ability to reason and think and so on. We have volitions. We have all these parts that are, as it were, properties of our soul, of our heart. And that is what Jeremiah is speaking about here, our souls. And so as he paints this portrait, he is painting not a physical portrait. He's not saying this is what you look like with your physical heart. But he's revealing to us a spiritual portrait. He's revealing to us, displaying to us what we're truly like spiritually, inside our true spiritual nature. You see, he wants us to see ourselves not how we may appear to others or how we may think that we appear to others. But he wants to show us how we appear before God. Jeremiah presents to us then this true inner portrait. He wants us, in other words, to see ourselves as we really are. So this evening then, let's have a look at this, this verse together about the heart. And I want you to notice with me three things that Jeremiah tells us about our hearts, about our souls, about our spiritual condition. And the first thing that Jeremiah highlights about our hearts is that they are insincere. They are insincere. He says in verse 9 there, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's deceitful or insincere. It's dishonest. It's false. It's untrustworthy. It's untruthful. Our hearts mislead us. That's what he's saying here. They're unprincipled. They're subtle like a serpent. Insidious, you might say. Artful. Our hearts, you see, they conceal the truth and they distort the truth. Our hearts are are subject to this constant wavering and vicissitude. They just move about all the time. They wander and waver between ideas. We blow hot and cold, don't we? And this word that Jeremiah uses here, this this word deceitful here, it's, it's a word that's sometimes translated as crooked in the scriptures. If you just turn with me back to Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah chapter 40. And verse 4, the same word is used by the prophet here. He says, every valley shall be exalted in Isaiah 40, verse 4, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And it's the same word, crooked. A crooked and uneven path that causes you to stumble. It's one that isn't smooth and, and plain, and our hearts like that uneven ground that deceives us. You know, when you're walking through a field and there's a rabbit hole and you you don't see it and you put your foot and it deceives you. And Jeremiah says, this is what our hearts are like. They are insincere. You know, the word that's used here by Jeremiah, this word deceitful, it's it's the very word that's used for the name Jacob. Remember how Jacob was a a supplanter, a deceiver, how he deceived his own uh, brother, how he deceived his own father. He twisted things, didn't he? He sought to trick everybody. He was a deceiver. He was artful, wasn't he, in how he bred sheep and how he tricked everybody who he came into contact with. And you see, Jacob is a picture of our own sinful hearts and our deceitful hearts. Just as Jacob could not be trusted, 
our hearts likewise mislead us. And the truth is that our hearts deceive us about everything that's important in this life. Let me give you some examples of how our hearts deceive us tonight. Take, for example, sin. Our hearts tell us, don't they, that God's standards are unfair. That what God says in his word, you know, it can't be true, it can't be real. His, his definition of sin is too severe. And so we begin to minimise sin in our hearts. We begin to measure sin by our own yardstick. And so we, we come up with how sin is according to our own ideas. And so we redefine sin. We redefine it according to our terms and our perceived standards, don't we? This is what the people of Jeremiah's day were doing. If you, can, if you have time to read the, the, the prophecy, you'll find out how the people had just turned and how they had turned against God. And if you read the book of Ezekiel, which was written at the same time, he tells us that, that the people there, they had turned from righteousness to commit iniquity. And then they turned around and accused God that God's standard was not right. He said, you've, they, they said the people said, you've got an unequal standard. Ezekiel 18, 25 This is what it says. It says, yet ye say the way of the Lord is not equal. This is what God says to them here now, O house of Israel. Is not my way equal? God says to them, no, he says, are not your ways unequal? You see, God's standard hasn't changed, but the people had changed God's standards. It was them that who had changed. It was them whose hearts had deceived them. And it isn't hard to give examples in, in our lives today, is it? How sin is redefined and changed. Just take murder as an example. Everyone's agreed that murder's wrong. It's wrong to take another person's life, and yet society has redefined it. Murder's legitimate and legal, isn't it, as long as the person being murdered hasn't yet left the womb. Similarly, it's becoming increasingly accepted, isn't it, that if a person is coming towards the end of their life and if they're terminally ill, that it's okay to to take that person's life from them. You see, we may, in our deceitfulness, dress up sin and call it by another name, just like we call murder abortion or assisted suicide, but God's law calls it murder and his standard hasn't changed. But our hearts deceive us. And so we see all around us, don't we, in this world, and perhaps you have this in your own heart too, that people call evil good and good evil. And they put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And we see sin and it promises us so much, it promises us pleasure and enjoyment, but our hearts are deceiving us. The enjoyment that we get out of sin is only an illusion, isn't it? It's like a mirage, it cheats us. Because our hearts are deceitful and they deceive us regarding sin, but we could also say they deceive us regarding God's and his character. The God of the Bible is remoulded to fit how we want God to be like. We, can, we sort of construct him to our own ideas, don't we, and our own concepts. For some, perhaps God you know, is nothing, nothing more than just sort of a genial grandfather figure. You know, one who sort of hands out Werther's originals and who's kind. He doesn't really hate sin. But he's, he's just loving all the time. And he's easily convinced. You know, like, you know, when you see your grandchildren, when you see children with their grandparents, how they can twist their grandparents' arms to get them sweets any time they like. And some people think God is like that. Perhaps that's how you view God tonight. 
You know, the moment you die, you're just going to go to heaven because God is just kind. You know, you think a God like that surely doesn't have a hell for someone like me. If there's such a God, he's too, too much too kind to, to cast anyone who's, who's outwardly good like me into such a place. Others redefine God. They imagine God is a bit like how the Greeks often imagined God. He needs to be appeased every now and again. He deserves some sort of sacrifice on my part, some kind act. So I'll do something every now and again. I'll give money to charity and maybe that will appease the God of my definition and of my mind. Of course, we could go on multiplying the different and numerous ways in which people have overhauled and recreated God according to their own imaginations. Certainly there's nothing of the holiness of God, is there? Nothing of his justice, nothing of his righteousness, nothing of his transcendence, nothing of the fact that he's the creator of the ends of the earth who demands our love and our service and our obedience. Perhaps I'm speaking to someone here this evening. Perhaps your heart has deceived you about what God is like. I know I've mentioned it before, but so many people believe in the justification of death, don't they? Justification by death. At the moment I die, I'm just received into heaven. Friends, if you truly feel that way, let me warn you, your heart has deceived you. Because God is not like that. We could go even further. We could talk about how God, how our hearts are so insincere that they've deceived us about ourselves. We're so apt, aren't we, to magnify ourselves and to speak about how wonderful we are. We love to lift up our excellencies and hide the things that we know are our defects and our scars, as it were. And our judgment becomes perverted, doesn't it? We believe that we're really better than we actually are. We become puffed up, we become proud, we become conceited. Psalm 36 tells us that the wicked flatter themselves in their own eyes. And we certainly don't see our sin. Oh, we're very quick, aren't we, to point out the sins of other people. We're quick, aren't we, to point out everyone else's faults and everyone else's problems. You've only got to be on Twitter to find this out. Everyone's pointing the finger at everybody else. How awful they are. And we can be so good, can't we, at solving everyone else's difficulties and everyone else's defects. But as Christ said, we so often spot the mote in our brother's eye. But we cannot see the beam in our own. And we certainly don't see ourselves as God sees us. We don't see ourselves here, like Jeremiah points out, that our hearts are deceitful, that even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before a holy God. And we could go on, we can think about so many things. Our hearts deceive us about the way of salvation. We imagine that there's something that we can do to get to heaven. And our hearts mislead us. We think we can save ourselves. And and we invent so many ways to get to God. You've only got to watch people dunking themselves in the Ganges, believing that that's how they can cleanse their sins away. Or perhaps we imagine that somehow our good, you know, there's the scales. God's got his scales out. Our good will outbalance the bad at the end. And so God will just welcome us into heaven. Or perhaps it's through rituals and ceremonies and and religion. And as long as I say my prayers and come to church, God will receive me. You see, our hearts deceive us. They're insincere. They're insincere about all these things. And the truth is we're deluded. 
And you see here is the first aspect that Jeremiah points out in this portrait. Our hearts are insincere. They're deceitful above all things. But notice secondly with me what he goes on to say here. Not only are they insincere, but they're incurable. Our hearts are incurable. He says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now that phrase there that he uses, desperately wicked, literally means to be sick. But so sick that you cannot cure it. He actually uses the same word if you just go back a couple of chapters to chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse 18. And he uses exactly the same Hebrew word here to describe the people. Jeremiah 15 and verse 18. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed, he says. That's the same word. It refuses to be healed. It cannot be, as it were, mended in any way. We might liken it, mightn't we, to someone who, you know, perhaps they feel something wrong with them. They detect a lump in their body and they go to the doctors and they have a scan and they receive perhaps dreadful news that the disease that they have is spreading rapidly and it's sadly terminal. And they get sent home perhaps and they get told there's nothing we can do. We can give you things to make you comfortable. We can provide a care package. And they tell you that you need to get your house in order and you need to make sure that everything's right because you haven't got long left to live. And the prophet is saying the same is true of us. We're sick and it's terminal. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do to stem the spread of this disease. And Jeremiah uses this word, of course, in a metaphorical sense to show us the true condition of our hearts. It cannot be healed because it's so wicked. That's what he says here. That's why the translation says it's desperately wicked. The reason why our hearts are incurable is because of our sin and our wickedness. Remember what I said at the beginning about our hearts. Our hearts speaking about our spiritual part of us that has all these different properties, the conscience, the will our reason to think, and so on. He says, look, every aspect, every faculty of the soul is diseased and is sick. And he says here, look, we're desperately wicked, we're sinners. And that's what the whole passage that we read really is all about. Jeremiah is, is using graphic language to say to the people, and it's, it's grotesque language, but he says to him, look, you're sick, and you're sick with sin. And you cannot be healed. There's nothing that you can do to heal yourself. There's no operation that you can have to solve it. There's no treatment to cure it. There's no cream or ointment that can ease it. You've got no hope. You see, the problem spelt out to us here. The problem with our hearts is that they are sinful. And it's incurable. Sin is a disease. It's a disease that spreads around us and it infects us and it spoils us and it mars us as human beings. And no matter how much we try to get rid of sin in our lives, we cannot get rid of it. And so the situation is desperate. You know, many people don't realise this. They, they perhaps, they know there's something wrong. And so they try and numb the pain. Perhaps this is what somebody here is doing tonight. You try and numb the pain of the disease of sin in your life. You try and make, as it were, your miserable life comfortable by turning to the things of this world. 
You turn to pleasures, you turn to experiences perhaps, you turn to riches, you perhaps turn to filling your life with with the things of this world to try and, as it were, ease the pain of the sickness of sin. Perhaps you're filling your life with these different things, these experiences perhaps, and all the time you're just trying to distract yourself from the reality, from the truth that you're a sinner and that your heart is desperately wicked. You see, this is very, as I said at the beginning, it's very solemn material, isn't it? What Jeremiah is saying here is very serious. And I hope that you're still with me, that you're not put off by how serious this is tonight. But you see, just as it would be wrong for a doctor to mislead a patient and and to cover up the fact that, you know, if they had something incurable, if he was to send them out the door not telling them that they they had a terminal disease, that would be wrong and that would be awful. And it'd be wrong and awful for me tonight to say to you, everything's well. Your hearts are great. Before God, it's wonderful. If I was to come to you tonight and say, look, you know, just carry on living your life. Everything's going swimmingly for you. You've You've got a wife. You've got a family. You've got children. You've got a job. You're whatever it is that you're looking for in this life. You've got that car that you're after, the home you've been wanting to buy. Just go on, live your life as you like. And I wasn't to tell you that you're sick. It would be wrong. You see, Jeremiah sought to spell it out to the people of his day, and he did so with tears running down his eyes. He had a heavy heart as he told him. He says, this is what you're like in your hearts. And he wanted the people to turn, to turn from their sin, to repent. He wanted them to seek the Lord. And friends, tonight, that's why I'm here tonight. That's my aim tonight, that you would turn from your sin and turn to the Lord. That you would see the true condition of what your heart is like and that you would cry out to him. You know, friends, tonight there's only one way that you can be cured and healed of your sin. And that's by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is the great physician. He's the great doctor, isn't he? He's the one who can heal your heart. Remember what Jesus said? He said, they that are whole have no need of a physician. That's obvious, isn't it? Those who are well, those who don't have any problems, they don't need to go to the doctor. He said, but they that are sick. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, I came with this very purpose in mind of healing sick, incurable hearts. I am the great doctor who can do this. You see, he came with that very purpose that he might make a way possible but for us to be healed through his death, through his precious blood being shed on the cross at Calvary. Remember what Isaiah writes, it's with his stripes we are healed. You see, you want healing for your heart, which is incurable. You must come, as it were, to the fountain of Christ's blood and be cleansed and healed there. Notice what Jeremiah says later on in our passage that we read in verse 14. He says, heal me, O Lord. And I shall be healed. That's a wonderful promise. He says, save me and I shall be saved. You see, friends, if you're still in your sin tonight, if your heart is still a heart that's insincere and incurable, here's a great prayer that you can pray. Heal me, O Lord. And you can plead the promise, I shall be saved. I shall be healed. I shall be restored and forgiven and pardoned of all my sin. You see, when you come to Christ and you trust in him, that that is what happens. Every sin is done away with. Remember what the hymn writer said. 
I need thee, precious Jesus, for I am full of sin. My soul is dark and guilty. My heart is dead within. I need the cleansing fountain where I can always flee. The blood of Christ most precious, the sinner's perfect plea. You see, friends, that's where you must go tonight if you want to be healed of sin. You need to come to the cleansing fountain of Christ's blood. It's through his stripes, with his stripes, that we can be healed of our sin. But Jeremiah goes on to give us a third thing here in this verse. He said our hearts are insincere. He said our hearts are incurable. But notice lastly that he says our hearts are inscrutable. They're inscrutable. He says who can know it? You see, it's foolish to imagine that somehow we can fathom the depths of our hearts. Our hearts, in a sense, are deeper than the deepest canyon under the sea. And there's dark recesses in our hearts where sin lurks and where we may, you know, we may plunge down deeply and we may try and search our hearts. But Jeremiah says to us, look, they're unknowable. You can never get to the bottom of what your heart is like. Just when you think that you've conquered every sin in your life and you think you're on top of the world, something else comes in because our hearts are unknowable. But the next verse tells us something else. And it highlights to us a very plain truth that although we may not know our hearts, God does. You notice what it says there in that verse. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways. The Lord knows the heart. And you see, even though our hearts are unknowable, God knows them. And God sees the fruit of our hearts. You see, you know, as a tree is known by its fruits, so a man is known by his, his heart brings out the very fruits and his actions are seen. Christ said, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruits. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And so it is with our hearts. We see something of the unknowableness of our hearts in our words and in our actions and in our thoughts. You know, friends, if we're truthful with ourselves tonight, if you're truthful tonight with your own heart, you'll realise, won't you, that your sin betrays you. Your sin betrays the very nature and the deceitfulness of your hearts. That's why Paul, when he was speaking to Christians, he said that we should take heed lest we fall, didn't he? That we're to, we're to be careful because even the best of us know we can fall. And so God says here in verse 10, look, even though our hearts are inscrutable, I, the Lord, search the hearts. God searches and he knows. And friends, that should, if you're a sinner here tonight, that is one of the most distressing things that you can hear. God knows your hearts. David wrote, didn't he, in Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. And that's a distressing thing, because if your hearts are exactly what is described here, being deceitful and desperately wicked, God knows all about it. He knows the thoughts that you have on your bed at night. He knows the things that you think about every day. He knows the things that you've done in secret. He knows it all. David wrote in that same psalm, Thou art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. And what conclusion does David come to? He says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. God knows us. 
and he sees us. And as we were thinking the other week, every sin is open and exposed before God. We're naked before God, aren't we? You remember what Samuel said, look, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so he knows us. He knows you, he knows me tonight. We're naked before this holy God and our hearts which are deceitful, which have led us to rebel against our maker, our hearts which make us shake our fist at him in rebellion against him, our hearts which have caused us to raise up treason against God. Those hearts are open before him. In a sense, it's like we're on an operating table before God. And there God can see us and our hearts are open right before him. He sees it all. But you know, as I close tonight, there's a wonderful promise that we find in the book of Ezekiel because although God can see our hearts and he can see how wicked our hearts are and he can see how deceitful our hearts are and he sees every sin that we've committed, Ezekiel gives us a wonderful promise. Actually, if you read the book of Ezekiel, it times up twice. A wonderful promise that those who come and and seek God and repent of their sin, who come to God in faith, God is willing, as it were, to do open-heart surgery. If you have a Bible, you can turn to these words in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. The Lord says this this is a wonderful promise. That even though our hearts are what Jeremiah describes here, Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, he says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you and heart of flesh. You see, God is saying, look, there you are, as it were, on the operating table. You can come to me and I will take out that heart, that heart that is deceitful, that heart that is hard, that is stony, and I will give you a new heart. And friends, tonight this is what you need if you're still outside of Jesus Christ. You need a new heart. Have you experienced it? Do you know what it is to have a new heart, a heart of flesh, and a new spirit put within you? Do you know what it is to be pardoned of your every sin, to be forgiven, to know that you've been cleansed in the precious blood of Christ? You know, when you have a new heart, you have new desires, you have new life, you have new everything in a sense. Your whole world is changed. It's wonderful. So when you have Christ as your saviour and that heart has been given to you. I pray tonight if there's anyone here who is still outside of Christ, you would know this experience, that you would come to him. And even tonight, perhaps in the quietness of this building, that you would know what it is to have that heart replaced, that stony heart, that deceitful heart, the heart that's desperately wicked. And you'd have that new heart of flesh and a new spirit put within you.